In partnership with 2SER 107.3, the Walkley Talks podcast presents the latest episode of Fourth Estate. Fourth Estate is a weekly program about the media, featuring some of Australia's leading journalists. Broadcast live each Monday at 6.30pm on 2SER 107.3. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Fourth Estate, your weekly wrap of news from the media. My name is Isabel Summerson, and joining me on the panel tonight are Ben Doherty, Senior Reporter for the Sydney Morning Herald, Good evening. Simon King, Senior Reporter and Sports Columnist at The Australian, Good evening. Sarah Morris, and on the phone from Brisbane, Anthony Fennell. How are you? Good evening. Good. Getting on to the media matters of the week, and obviously asylum seeker matters have dominated headlines in the past few weeks, and it all started with the interception of two boats of Tamil asylum seekers by Australian vessels outside Australian territorial waters. Uh, The government initially refused to confirm or deny their existence in keeping with the policy of not commenting on on water matters. And one of these groups was returned to Sri Lanka in a mid-sea transfer, while the other remains at sea in the custody of Australian authorities, awaiting a decision by the High Court. In the hearing last Tuesday that briefly lifted the veil of silence over on water matters with the government agreeing not to return the asylum seekers without three days' notice. Last week also saw the publication of reports of increased rates of self-harm in detention centres and the ongoing Senate inquiry into the unrest on Manus Island earlier this year. Looming over all of these events is the government's use of secrecy and pretty tough rhetoric. Ben Doherty... How does the government's policy of restricting information and access to asylum seekers affect journalists' ability to do their job? Oh, well, look, it affects, affects things hugely, obviously. The, the government is, is a very significant player in, in this um, hugely polarising and, and divisive debate. This is a key policy of this government. This is a, a very uh, current uh, debate in, in, in public discourse in Australia, and basically one of the biggest players in it is not saying anything at all. And, and I, I don't think we could stress just how extraordinary the government's position is. I mean, for, for a democratic government to refuse to comment on, on what it's doing with our Navy, with, with our customs vessels, this is a government we elected, you know, they work for us essentially, and they're not telling the press and, and, and through them, they're, they're not telling the people of Australia what they're doing. I think this is pretty extraordinary. It is. It, it's hugely frustrating for journalists to try and be covering this. I'm sort of recently back in Australia, and, and so I've been reporting this from the other end, I suppose, from the Pakistani end, from the from the Sri Lankan end. But to come back to Australia and see just how difficult it is to operate and, and get any, any information at all, it's just quite extraordinary. And it, it, it pushes journalists into to looking for other avenues for news. Um, and it's just so hard to substantiate things that you hear or, or, or get to the truth of the matter. And I think... The government quite likes having this air of uncertainty swirling around and this speculation that no one quite knows what's going on. And I just think it's particularly unhelpful in, in, in such a, a crucial debate, in such a, a debate that people still feel so um, so powerfully about, but also just something that's so important. You know, we're talking about people's lives here, so um, I think it's 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 really important we find out all the information we can. Yes, and looking at the broader picture, how do you think these policies square with press freedom in Australia? Uh, look, again, I mean, I, I, 
I go back to, to, to my point. I, I think the more information, the better with, with, with something like this. And I think, you know, there are lots of debates around the moral argument about, you know, is it right, uh, the, 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 the policy settings that Australia has. There's the legal argument, and, and I don't think there are too many people who are seriously arguing that, that what Australia's doing is, is in keeping with our international obligations. It, it seems to be quite clearly uh, illegal un, under international law. So, so these, are, these are debates we should be having, and people sh- we should be able to debate this... Uh, with all the facts on the table. So I, I think press freedoms are being seriously curtailed here. The minister works for us. He's, he's an elected representative of the people. Um, he's answerable to the parliament. He's answerable to the people of Australia. What do the rest of the panel think? I think if you if you look at press freedom and the idea here, if you look at uh, the Charter for Free Press, which has been adopted by the Australian Press Council, one of the points or, or one of the issues in the Charter there is, and, and I'll quote it, it says, laws, regulations and practices which in any way restrict or inhibit the right of the press to freely gather and distribute news, views and information are unacceptable unless... It can be shown that the public interest is better served by such laws uh, than the public's right to know. So are we better off as a country doing what we're doing without the public knowing? And the questions these raise, I guess, is, is it OK for the public not to know? Is it OK for the public not to know, uh, you know, if a boat is in our waters or approaching our waters? Is it OK for us not to know about the mental health issues in detention centres? Is it OK for us not to know about possible human rights violations? And we're talking everything here from the the burning of the hands that supposedly happened to also how these, uh, particularly in this case the Sri Lankans, are being assessed once they're on that boat, the processing. We don't know about this And, and I think this is where it gets really tricky. Are we better off not knowing, or is the country better off knowing, not knowing? And, and what I, I, for me, this is really tricky because I think if you look back at the former government, they were essentially publishing shipping weekly or shipping daily almost. We had such an intimate knowledge of where the boats were and what was going on. And that plays into a people smuggler's hand. You know, they are right on top of that and they change their practices knowing everything along those lines. And the other thing that you know, shipping daily, as I called it, uh, did was it, it gave journalists like us the the ability to talk about this and commentate on it absolutely every single day. And we have this ferocious 24-hour news cycle. And I think politicians do make knee-jerk reactions when this happens. They're constantly being hounded by journos to make some sort of a statement on this. And do they make good decisions? I don't know. So that's one hand. You know, is it, is it perhaps not a, not a bad policy for those reasons? But on the other hand, how do we know what is actually going on? And there's human rights violations possibly going on here. It's a really hard act to balance. Yes, well, Scott Morrison did say a couple of weeks ago that public curiosity is not the same as public interest. Mm. What did you think about that, Anthony? Uh, Look, I think the question that all Australians really should be asking themselves on this issue is why the government doesn't want to let the media and the public know what they're doing in the public's name. And I think sometimes it's forgotten that the government acts on the behalf of the people of this country they're acting on their behalf and they're not informing them about what they're doing in their name in an international arena. And I think that's enormously troubling. The government, of course, has the right to enact whatever policy it wants. And I wouldn't want to make a comment on whether the policy is correct, whether it's fair or not. But it really, in the sort of democracy that we have in Australia, it really doesn't have a right to keep this kind of information secret. Mm. I mean, as a, a functioning democracy, We accept that there are certain uh, areas where secrecy is necessary in times of war. You know, cabinet deliberations usually kept secret or have traditionally been Mm -hmm. kept secret. Uh, We've seen a bit of of, uh, leeway with that of of late. And, you know, matters around national security 
well, this is not an issue of national security. It might be dressed up by the government almost as a, a military operation with a, a military person in charge of it, with a military name in uh, Operation Sovereign Borders. But it isn't an issue of national security, and therefore that secrecy really shouldn't apply to it. I know people have made comparisons to, uh, between this, this current situation of secrecy uh, over asylum seeker policy and deliberations and dealings with the Tampa incident in 2001. I think there's a very big difference. I think when you look back at 2001, yes, there was a lot of media management that, that was going on. There was a lot of media massaging and there was a lot of secrecy around that, around what was happening at that time with the Tampa. There wasn't, however, this kind of blanket ban and a decision by the minister not to inform on any particular, not even to verify uh, that an incident has taken place or that boats even exist. Uh, so I think they're very, you know, this is a, a, a very substantial ramping up of the sort of secrecy that we've seen developing government over the last decade or so, and I think it's enormously troubling. Simon, what are your thoughts? Look, I agree with the other panellists. These are mar- This is a marginalised communi- community in an isolated place. Um, they deserve access to to the press. Look, I, I have a problem with the name Operation Sovereign mm. Borders as well. I mean, it makes makes me feel like I'm involved in some cheap Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. <laughs> and, um, look, I don't think there's going to be a Hollywood ending anywhere in sight. I, th- I think, if I can just interrupt, Anthony and Simon make a really interesting point around the semantics and the language that is used around uh, around asylum seekers now and the manipulation of that language. We have this name, Operation Sovereign Borders, that sounds like a military operation. We've got a military person in charge. We talk about waves or floods of illegal immigrants coming in. Um, and, and, and this sort of almost... It's it's almost like we're being put on in, 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 the, in the discourse that's going around on a war footing around here. And it just... It changes people's perceptions and it changes people's attitudes to these people, to, 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 these, uh, to these asylum seekers and, and the issue of asylum in general. And I think the media needs to be very careful around the language that's used and the language that they reproduce in terms of how that shapes people's understanding and, and, and shapes people's perception of this debate. It is not illegal to seek asylum. And, and, and we're making it sound like it is. I think a lot of people would be unaware of that in the general Australian public. By the way, we do use these mm. words. I agree. Mm. Isabel, in terms, of, um, in terms of secrecy again, I think the precedent that is set here is quite worrying. Because, you know, if this isn't an issue of national security and we are willing to go to this extent, we are willing to accept our government. And most Australians, you know, people aren't protesting in the streets. So most people, I think, may not be happy with it, but they're accepting of, of it for the, for the time being. If we're willing to accept a government making this sort of blanket censorship ban over their activities and what they're doing in our name for this one particular issue... What's the, where does that go from here? What other issues will come up over time that this government or any subsequent government will then decide the, the public has no right to know or the media has no right to investigate? I think there's also another issue of how long the government can keep this up. I mean, the level at which they're playing on this issue is, you know, is raised to full volume. It's, it's right up there on high. And to continue to keep this going over a period of years, perhaps decades, if the world descends into ongoing crisis and civil war in, uh, in the Middle East and, and uh, you know, we have escalating tensions in Asia. What, are we going to accept that we shouldn't be told anything about these kind of operations well into the future? I, you know, I think there's some really serious questions, question marks there that even they as a government will need to ask themselves over time about where they want to go from here because they've gone right, as I say, to the, to the top volume on this issue. 
Yes, well, I'm sure that, you know, history will tell and one day, you know, we may see inquiries into this. But I'd like to get back to the semantics on the asylum seeker issue because last week Fairfax reported that 12 mothers on Christmas Island had tried to kill themselves, believing that their children would be settled in Australia. The government rejected this claim, but did, however, confirm that a number of minor self-harm incidents had taken place on the island. What's going on here? Is this simply an issue of semantics and sort of differentiating between what is a a suicide act and what is self-harm? Anyone like to... uh... Look, I'll I'll jump in and just say, uh, just briefly, that... I think one of the problems with the attitude that the or the approach that the government has taken is that it calls into question everything that they say. You don't know whether mm. I'm not accusing them of lying on any issue, but when they talk about um, self-harm, how are we to know whether this is what they're talking about is is semantics, whether they're massaging the message or whether they're giving out accurate information? Because of the level of secrecy, because the minister himself has said he will determine what sort of information is given out and when. It's very hard for journalists or the public to make any kind of call on whether the information they're getting is the full information or whether it's PR spin or, or you know, a massage message. And I think, you know, we also need to think about how we avoid trivialising incidents like this when the language that is used is so removed from, you know, what is actually happening. So do you have any... And the way you, you know minor self harm slash suicide attempts, you know mm. what what is it? And you're right, it's it's watering it down. It's almost a euphemism, isn't it? I tell you what I find really interesting about the way the government's handling all of this is the fact that from the top to the bottom, no one will tell a journalist anything. This Operation Sovereign Borders, they, they've got very tight lips on this and the government's not known for their very tight lips on everything. You know, I've tried everyone I know to get a comment on this and you can't get a word out of a politician, out of a media advisor, out of the receptionist, anybody. And I think that in itself is incredible because it's not hard often to, to find someone in the ranks who'll dissent, but they're all on this one. And the, the, the interesting thing is uh, there's been reporting uh, lately around the sort of massive rise in the numbers of media uh, managers and, and, and minders and spokespeople being employed by the government, but there's a sort of almost an inverse correlation between the amount that they're actually saying. Yeah. And you kind of wonder what all these people are doing, <laughs> obfuscating and getting in the way of the media, in, instead of doing their jobs and, 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 and giving the Australian public information that they should have. It's, it's quite extraordinary. As you say, it's quite extraordinary. The level of secrecy that, mm. that exists around this is, is almost unprecedented. Mm. Yeah, well, Ben, you have been covering these um, stories for a couple of weeks now, and I'd just like to ask what kind of impact it's having on you and your colleagues personally. Oh, look, lots of frustration, I suppose, in, in terms of, you know, this is we feel it's an important story, and this is something that, that Fairfax and, and other news organisations have, have reported on. You know, I've been reporting about on, on asylum seekers for, you know, years now. Um, and and it's it's an ongoing issue. It's 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 an issue of, of great import, I, I think, to to the Australian public. We increasingly find ourselves going to alternate channels to find information, but often the same channels, and it's just so hard to get stuff verified and substantiated to know exactly what's right. And then uh, the government will come out and say, no, that's not right. It's it's not a suicide attempt. It's a, it's a minor act of self harm. You know, where, where does the truth lie? And, and we we live in this this sort of climate of secrecy. It just makes it really hard to get to the bottom of it. And there does seem to be a hostility that's that's developed. And, and there's always been a bit of that between the, the, the media and, and governments, this one and past and, and, and going back. But there, it, it does seem to be 
as hostile as I can remember it, the relations between government and media at, at the moment, there's a very adversarial approach to it, which I don't think is, is helpful for anybody. So in terms of the verification, the SMH reported a couple of weeks ago some claims that were made by an asylum seeker who was apparently on one of the boats. How are you able to verify these kind of Look, that's calls? that's obviously very difficult, um, but you do everything that you can to get to the truth of the matter. And there, there's lots of stuff, you know, there, there are questions you can ask to, to sort of gauge the, the verisimilitude of, of what's being said. You can talk to people from, from, from where they've come and, and, and you know, journalists who've, who've worked in the region and, and all over have contacts wherever they are. So you, you talk to anyone and everyone and... and I mean, journalists are making the, these kind of value judgments all the time about what seems legitimate and, and what doesn't. It is a difficult thing to ascertain when, when someone's a long way away with limited means of communication, but you do what you can. And, and I think it's important that, that if you can verify to an extent that you're happy that, that this is you know, a genuine case and, and, and what you're being told is true, that, that you do report this because these are, as Simon said, very vulnerable people um, in, you know, in, in an environment where it's very difficult for them to speak and, 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 and they have a voice like everybody else in this debate. They have a crucial voice in this debate and, and we should be hearing from these people. Isabel, I think in terms of strategy, it's a really interesting path for the government to take as well because one of the you know one of the the basics basically of media management and of PR is to control the message to try and con- control the flow of information that gets out if you shut down the flow completely and refuse to engage at all refuse to have a flow of information that doesn't stop good journalists good journalists just go looking and digging whichever way they can and wherever they can so in one sense you actually yes you you might be able to turn the tap off for a while but it doesn't mean that you're going to stop the story completely. And the, the risk, I think, for the government and from its media management perspective is that it loses control of that issue as it's trying to deal with it. Now, it might, might have control of it at the moment, but we don't know what's, what's around the corner. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. And by simply refusing to engage with the media and, to be, and being open with the media, uh, you know, I think they risk at some point, from their own perspective, losing control of the whole situation and the way in which it's presented. Any other final thoughts on this issue before we move on? Yeah, well, I would like to add, we've actually signed an international treaty saying we're going to protect the rights of these people. So obviously there's a debate there to have. And as Anthony and as everyone says, it isn't going away. We're not about to stop looking into what's going on here. So the government at some stage will probably have to tell us a little bit more about what's going on. You're listening to Fourth Estate on 2SER and on the panel tonight we have Anthony Fennell, Ben Doherty, Simon King and Sarah Morris. Now, last night Channel 10 ran its widely promoted interview of Australian swimmer Ian Thorpe in which he came out as gay to iconic British talk show host Michael Parkinson. According to Mumbrella, the interview cost the network something in the region of $500,000 and pulled about 982,000 viewers. It also generated a huge swell of support for the swimmer on social media. What did the panel think of the interview? Did anyone manage to catch any of it? Yeah, I watched it and it was interesting. I was watching it in a a unit block where I live and I could hear collective groans from other units as it was going on. Look, hats off to the bloke. He's come out and he's done what he's done. There's naysayers out there today who will say in the interview he revealed that it was only about two weeks ago that he absolutely decided he was gay. Now, clearly this interview was arranged more than two weeks ago. And so a lot of people are going to be saying, well, if you believe the reports from Mumbrella and whatnot, he was paid $400,000, Parky was paid $100,000. 
thousand. He needed to say something for his four hundred thousand. That that part of it doesn't even worry me, to be honest. I mean, it was a little bit of a duh moment for the rest of the nation, but it's good, and perhaps it is helping other people out there. That's all fine. What I found really cringy was we had to talk about it. It, it took over the interview. Ian Thorpe is an amazing athlete. I mean, you know, is there anyone better? Has anyone broken more world records, won more Olympic games? You've done all these sorts of things, and we didn't even get to that. There was one lovely piece of the interview where he spoke about that men's 4 by 100 relay at the Sydney Olympics, and I was glued to that bit. I, I loved listening to you know what was in his thought process and, and the whole dramas he had trying to get his wetsuit wet back on and he nearly missed the cutoff. That was fabulous, but the rest of it, that this concentrated so much on, on the being gay and the depression, and I think we've all heard that. Ian has some questions to answer, though, as to why he could put out a book uh, declaring he wasn't gay and spend several chapters in his book doing that and decide he is now. But uh, for me, a lot of it was cringy. He, he felt the need to be worthy and a role model, which was I found really odd. You know, I think it should be about his personal journey, but he was trying to make it about everyone's journey and, you know, how he hopes this helps other people. And, and they asked, you know, what would you like to go on to do now? And he wants to work with Indigenous people. So everything about his, his interview was worthy. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but there was something for me that just didn't actually seem genuine in it. Right. I, look, I... I thought it was it was a great thing that he did. Mm. And it's obviously something that's been a very difficult thing for him, and I hope I hope he's found he's found the peace that he's looking for. I Correct. think it's a, it's a great thing. I think it would be a great day for Australia and 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 the world when this is unremarkable news. Yeah. When it's when it's not when it's when it's not news. Not only there's been basketballers come out in America and soccer players and cricket players in England. Um, when it's not news anymore, that will be a great day. That will re- truly be a day worth celebrating. I think when this is just so unexceptional. Simon, you're a sports columnist. Mm. Did you cover this interview today? No, I did watch it. Look, I agree with Ben. It would be it would be nice to live in a world where people didn't feel this pressure. Mm. Maybe also nice to live in a country where gay marriage wasn't even given a second thought. Mm. Um, look, if Thorpey has empowered one young man or woman to um, to make that step, then I think probably was worthwhile. There are, you know, he has lied about it in the past. He did receive a lot of money to do it now. Um, but he, he he seems like a man who's taken the, the next step forward and, you know, good on him. So do you think that there is a risk that by placing so much on Thorpe's sexuality, the media actually could make it more difficult for people who are struggling with the same sort of questions? Anthony? Oh, look, I, I don't think so. I mean, I... Ha- I have to say, I was. Um, I heard it yesterday morning. The ABC mm-hmm. was quite prominent in ABC bulletins yesterday morning when I was at work. I was really disappointed to, to hear that it was so prominent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes, it is a story, but it certainly didn't need the sort of coverage, particularly from the ABC. I'll probably get in trouble with my own organisation for saying this, <laughs> uh, that it got yesterday. Uh, it was then again this morning, the, the quarter to eight news and then, you know, promote on AEM. And I thought it was interesting that yesterday morning it was all the voyeurism stuff. And I think at, at some stage during the day, people at my organisation, at least I can only really talk for my organisation, must have thought, oh, um, are we actually doing the right thing by doing the, you know, the, oh, wow, you know, we always knew he was gay kind of story. Um, you know, and he's out, out of the closet now kind of story. And then it became the empowerment uh, role model story by this morning. Look, yes, it is a, you know, yes, I'm sure it does help some people um, who are in the closet in terms of, you know, empowerment. I think there is a genuine issue there. I think it is a genuine story simply because he 
you know, he wrote that book and he explicitly denied it. Um, you know, it wasn't just rumours around him. He, he did write that. He did, as he says now, he did live and speak a lie. So, I mean, that made it a story. But I just, I just felt a little bit disappointed, actually, in us as a, as the other panellists have said, in us as a nation that really it, it got so much prominence and that it, it was a bit of a sign that we, we haven't moved on, that it, is, that it is still so extraordinary for most of us. So this interview was conducted in Britain with a British uh, interviewer. That's interesting. Do you think that we would have seen something different if it had been done in Australia with an Australian interviewer? Oh, well, look, I, I don't know, to be honest, but I'm, I, you'd have to wonder, wouldn't you, why the, maybe there's a, just a very practical reason why he chose Michael Parkinson, why it was done in Britain. But you could also imagine that there was a decision made to you know to to make it uh, easier for him i suppose maybe they were, uh, they thought it was a risk to go with an uh, australian presenter on an australian program i don't know i think they share managers is that the my understanding is that they're both managed by the same person so it could have been brokered a little bit easier there i've been to a couple of press conferences with thorpey and he he never never makes uh, you feel welcome. He always tells you that he doesn't enjoy the media attention and, and that he doesn't enjoy it. I think he also probably thinks that Michael Parkinson adds a little bit more respect to his story. I mean, I think he sees him as the, the penultimate interviewer, and he probably is, and I think perhaps that gave it some gravitas. But I, I can kind of see, when you mentioned that, that, that Thorpe doesn't like the media particularly, mm. it was brought up last night by, by Parkinson that he was first asked about his sexuality at 16. Mm. I mean, this is a difficult thing to wrestle with if you're doing it in, in you know, as... As, a, as an ordinary person in the privacy of your own home, to have to do it, you know, in, in, in the public spotlight, to be asked by the press about your sexuality at the age of 16 is an extraordinarily confronting thing. So I can kind of understand his his level of hostility. I, I think it has been because of his profile and because, as you mentioned, he's you know, our most successful Olympian and mm. all those things he's done, that's just made it so much uh, more a difficult journey for him. And don't forget, he must have felt, you know, well, I, I won't put words into his mouth, but... You could imagine feeling slightly humiliated by mm. the uh, media attention that he got when his comeback didn't work out mm. last year or the year before, whenever it was. Uh, so that, again, wouldn't, I, I don't think, reinforced good feelings about the media, in, in his mind at least. Yes, well, that's all we have time for on this edition of Fourth Estate. Thank you very much to our panel, Anthony Fennell, Ben Doherty, Sarah Morris and Simon King. Thank you also to the producers, Aaron Walker and Ravina Grover. Fourth Estate is produced from the studios of 2SER. We'll be back next week. Until then, good night. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode of 2SER's Fourth Estate. Fourth Estate is produced by 2SER 107.3 and can be heard live each Monday at 6.30pm. 